What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise UK and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, Sasha Boy, Chris Pugh, and for the first time ever, uh, I am not joined by Mr. Nicole himself and my co-host, Sam. Uh, that is because this, as you can see by the title of this episode, is purely my chat with Serena Cherry uh, from Svalbard and Noctul. Those of you who've listened to the podcast for a while, and thank you for that, will know that I've been a massive fan of Serena as a musician for a, a long time now. When Svalbard's When I Die Will I Get Better record came out, we'd have unfortunately had to take a break from the podcast at that time uh, due to time constraints. I'd had a new job and stuff that well, I was finding difficult to acclimatise to in terms of time. So I didn't get to try and put forward to interview Serena then. And the second that I saw that uh, she was available for interviews because of Noctul's release, Wretched Abyss, I jumped on the chance because I've always really wanted to speak to her. So the reason why this episode is on its own is because I feel like this is a really, really important chat where a lot of really intricate things are discussed and things that Serena does, goes into a level of detail, which she didn't have to. And it was really awesome of, of her to give me such uh, such a good look into things that really I don't have a great understanding of and I may never have a great understanding of but at the very least I, I felt more educated coming out of this chat than I did previously and I hope that maybe someone who's listening to this will feel the same so I'm not going to keep it hanging around any longer this is my interview with Serena Cherry from Svalbard and Noctul if you are watching slash listening thank you very much uh, subscribe to us on YouTube or give us a follow slash like depending on whichever podcast service you are using this is Chris Meets Serena Cherry so I'm now joined by Serena Cherry vocalist guitarist in Svalbard and Noctul Serena it is nine o'clock on a Saturday night I cannot believe that you are speaking to me at this time thank you so much well, I'm I basically, yeah, I, I'm, that's the kind of thing that's fun to me, is chatting about music, chatting about games, so I can't think of anything better to do at nine o'clock on a Saturday night, to be honest with you. I feel under pressure now, like if this is a boring chat, it's entirely my fault, because you're, you're personally interested in games and music, and if I mess this up now, it's entirely on me, that was too much pressure. Um, I've, I've wanted to speak to you um, for, for a long time. Um, primarily because as I was putting like my interview questions together here, I was like, right, where do we start? Do we start with the way you stand up for women's rights and against misogyny? Or do we stand up or do I talk to you about how much I love when I die, will I get better? Or do I talk to you about the fact you wrote a record about Skyrim? Or how about the fact that like you ride around the castles for a living? It's like you've got all these like insane interests and all this really cool stuff that you've done. I don't even know where to begin. Um, so I've, I thank you so much for giving me your time. Oh no! Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's really cool. It would make sense for me then. I guess I, I want to start off on a light note because uh, <laughs> I've got a lot of really deep stuff I want to talk about. Uh, Black Mirror at Thought Park. I'm interested. Uh, I want to know all about it. Oh great! Yeah, this is. I was just watching. We just uploaded our walkthrough video on the Coast Force channel. Wow. So okay. Just before this call. I was just going through that, checking, making sure that everything was okay on the video. <laughs> so this is a really relevant topic. Awesome. So um, on Thursday, I went to the press event for the new Black Mirror Labyrinth attraction at Thorpe Park. Um, and it is, I mean, if you like Black Mirror, the TV series, then I think you'll love this. Like, it's very psychological. It's all about kind of dangers of technology, artificial, artificial intelligence sort of taking over and deleting you. It kind of plays on the insecurities that are um, sort of 
um, oh, what's the word, exacerbated by social media. Um, it's a really, it's quite an intense attraction. And I think if you're into kind of analytical stuff, sociological stuff, Black Mirror, like anything that kind of questions modern society, then you will get a lot out of this attraction. It's not like um, a scare maze, you know, where people jumping out at you. It's more kind of um, disturbing mentally. But I'm a huge fan of it. Yeah, I was really, really blown away. Does it descend into a ride the same way 13 at Alton Towers descends into a ride? Or is it purely like a kind of, is it purely like a weird attraction? It's, yeah, it's not a ride. It's just a walkthrough attraction. Um, so it's basically, I don't know if you've ever been in a mirror maze. Um, no. It's Ah, okay. So it's like all these different dead ends with mirrors in, so you get really disorientated. Right, but okay. Also screens and they like crack and they take your photo and they sort of distort your own face back at you. And it's very hypnotic. It's very like a lot of illusions and tricks and um oh what's the word? It's not virtual reality. Oh augmented. Augmented, reality. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot of like kind of um, weird, trippy stuff in there, but you just go through the whole thing on foot. There's no actual ride. Right, yeah, that's cool. You know what, that's like, Thought Park is, is I haven't been to Thought Park because it, just in terms of location, it's really far from Wolverhampton. Um, but obviously I've done Alton Terrors, Dragon Man, the Blackpool and stuff. And oh, there's a ride at um, Thought Park called Stealth. And I'm actually like really scared of heights. Um, so I want to go to Thought Park just to see if I would have the courage to go on it because I had to really force myself to go on the Pepsi Max. Like, I, like really, like, will myself out of not wanting to embarrass myself in front of my friends. Um, and Thought Park just sounds so cool. It sounds like it actually might be, pound for pound, the best theme park in Britain. That's definitely what I would say. I think if you like, it depends what you like. If you like the kind of magic and the gardens and the pretty stuff, then Alton Towers is cool. But if you like big rides, big thrills, you know, um, really cool, inventive stuff like a Black Mirror Labyrinth, then Thought Park is definitely the one for you. So it depends what you like, but Thought Park is definitely my favourite. And Stealth is my favourite ride at Thought Park. So I would recommend it. And I would say if you do have a fear of heights that sort of, you know, makes you a bit nervous about going on a ride, is always think to yourself, like, have you ever come off a ride and regretted it? No, yeah, probably not. Yeah. So what makes you think you're going to regret this one? Like, it, it kind of, it's not based on evidence. It's a really irrational way of thinking. And like, I always, because I, when I was a kid, I used to be quite sort of scared of rides as well. And I think the best thing to do is transform that nervousness into excitement. So instead of like, oh God, how horrible is this going to be? It's like, ooh, I wonder how cool this is going to be. And yeah, and then you'll find, I think, it's a lot easier to get on rides like that. And something else, sorry, once you get me on coasters and theme parks, I don't stop talking. No, please. <laughs> <laughs> please. You know, this interview is not about me, it's about you, but just a little side note from what you were mentioning there. I, I'm scared of heights, um, but I did a skydive for dementia. Um, wow. And it was like, it was 15,000 feet, and it was one of those things like at my old workplace, like the regional manager came in and was like, you, oh, if you want and you get enough donations, you can sign up for to do this skydive for dementia. And obviously, it's the regional manager. I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it. Yeah, whatever. Uh, so, you know, I sign up. And then it just so happens that I, I posted the link, like, on my social media thinking no one's going to donate, so it'll be fine. And then, like, within a week, 
I got the I got the amount of donations I needed to do it, and I was like, "Oh man, I really wish you hadn't donated because I'm really scared about this." But the reason why I brought it up is, like you said about the roller coaster thing. Like, really, at any time you can say no. Really, you know, it's just it's just the biggest fear is the fear itself with heights. Like yeah. that, that you're scared of being scared is the thing. Oh, when you get when you know Oblivion at Alton Towers amazing apocalypse of dragon manor is awesome when you get off it's and with the skydive as well as soon as i landed i was like that's the best thing i've done ever like i want that adrenaline rush again and again yeah oh that's amazing i've not done a skydive so that's really cool like uh, yeah, yeah i'd recommend it i can't believe you haven't <laughs> considering like all the rides you the yeah it's one of those things i think it's because like you know i do a lot of traveling going to theme parks so it's hard to fit in something like a skydive yeah of course one day definitely would love to do it but that would be my my final piece of advice for getting on stealth is the fastest if you want a nice geeky fact it is the fastest launching coaster in the uk Ah. so you're up there so quick you won't even notice like it doesn't feel when you're on it, it doesn't feel any taller than the others. So like, right, okay, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> you know, uh, our listeners hear about me all the time. They're probably sick of hearing about me. So we'll we'll change course and go back to you. Uh, in terms of in terms of Coaster Force, I, I think it's amazing how you got involved with that because uh, I, I read about I, I read about how you originally got involved with the company and if do correct me if i'm wrong but my understanding is that you kind of just started posting on forums and going to meetups is that correct yeah absolutely i think it was about uh 11 10 11 years ago now um i just signed up to the forums um and started you know uh chatting with fellow nerds about roller coasters and going along to their meetups and then eventually um i became a staff member which was awesome and like yeah it's it's so good and like i think the thing i value the most is the people that i've met like um you meet all kinds of different people from all walks of life but you all have that same passion for posters and theme parks which is just like it's really nice to be able to share those experiences well, this is the thing, right? So there's a decent chance that someone listening to this is going to have a passion that they don't think is quote-unquote cool. So they're anxious about openly searching for like-minded people. But for yourself, you know, you loved roller coasters. You found a forum and you started going to meetups. Now, like, like I said, someone's going to be listening to this that that idea is going to make them feel quite anxious and, and maybe feel like they might not belong. Um, what gave you the confidence to seek out other enthusiasts 10 years ago? Well, actually, uh, I can get even more detailed. Um, <laughs> First of all, wasn't the first roller coaster enthusiast group that I was part of. Ah. Before, prior to Coaster Force, I was on the forums and a member of the Roller Coaster Club of Great Britain. And what inspired me to join that was I noticed that whenever I went to theme parks with my friends, I was the one that knew all the details about the ride and like way more excited than everyone else and was just kind of, I noticed that I seemed to care about this a lot more <laughs> than the people I went with. So I thought, I'll oh, be nice, maybe, maybe this is a thing, you know, and I, I think I literally just, you know, searched online roller coaster enthusiast groups and I came across the roller coaster club of Great Britain and now this is where I think there's sort of a lesson to be learned is I joined their forum and I went on their meetup for the opening of Saw the Ride in 2009 and um, they weren't 
very welcoming and they weren't very friendly and it oh. was very very like not diverse and um i dressed maybe a bit more kind of um gothy back then and like one of the first things someone did was sort of come up to me and be like oh what are you a goth and kind oh. of yeah. Um, they were very welcoming so for a while after that i went okay right i like roller coasters but i think the other people that like roller coasters maybe aren't really my scene you know maybe mm. it's not really where i belong so i left it for years and i just used to read stuff online but i would never join forums i would never sort of um interact with coaster enthusiasts in a way because i was scared that they were all like these people that i first met but then after a couple of years, I've been lurking on the Coaster Force forums, just reading, you know, all the information and stuff. And I started to notice as I was reading, hey, this group has loads more women in it. This group has, you know, loads of different kind of people from all walks of life. And this seems a lot more, you know, welcoming, diverse. And it's Coaster Force. I think the thing I really pride, take pride in with Coaster Force is we have a real sense of humour. Like we know in a yeah we know it's all it's riding roller coasters it's not serious is it like so there's a really nice kind of element of, of humor and fun there no one takes and tells you seriously no one's going to tell you off for having a different opinion on a ride kind of thing um so i gave it another go and that would be like my advice to anyone who's got maybe a passion that they don't know that many other people are into is you might not meet the right people straight away, but if your passion's still there, just sort of keep trying and keep going and eventually you'll find somewhere where you fit in. If we're talking about things you're an enthusiast for, I guess we have to talk about Nocturne next, right? Um, Sam told, my co-host Sam told me not to tell you this, but I, I, I may as well. Um, I'm like a real big gaming nerd. However, I haven't played Skyrim, even though if I look to my right-hand side, I can literally see the game case over there. Um, Skyrim is, is like one of those games that... I used to work at game, and people, when I would say I hadn't played Skyrim, they used to be like, you haven't played Skyrim, what do you mean? You know... So it just got to the point where so many people had spoken to me about it and told me about it. It was almost like I wanted to be counterculture by not playing it. Um, I will play it eventually one day. But in terms of Nocturne, by the time we release this interview, Wretched Abyss will already be out. Um, is it the kind of record that you could only have written during the pandemic because of the extra time you had on your hands? Or was this always been simmering away in the back of your eye, of your back of your mind for a while? It's interesting. It's a little bit of both. Before we go into that, I am just going to say how you described uh, your kind of feelings with this like immense pressure to play Skyrim and everyone yeah. just hyping it. That's the same for me with Game of Thrones. Like, ah, you're saying, yeah. People keep bombarding me with it. That I'm like, no, just let me discover it in my own time. Yeah. Because if you keep, you know, pestering people about it and, oh, what, you haven't played it kind of thing, like, it just makes you, yeah, it makes you kind of turn away a bit and go, well, maybe I don't want to, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think people can overhype things to a point where you almost don't want to bother with them. Um, but then to go to your question about Nocturne, like, time out of breath from going to the store. I've been going to the gym as well, but I haven't seen any results yet. Um, <laughs> um, um with Noctual, I would say it was a bit of both, actually. Like, it was the result of the pandemic. This album definitely wouldn't exist if UK lockdown hadn't happened because I wouldn't have had the time 
to sit down and really focus and make a whole album by myself from start to finish. But a lot of the riffs I'd been chewing on for a few years, like I'm always kind of riffing and writing stuff and it doesn't always fit the Svalbard, um, you know, sound. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of stick it there in the bank. And what's really nice about Nocturne is now I have a home for those ideas. I mean, not to, that makes it sound like <laughs> Nocturne is, you know, the cutting room floor scraps of, <laughs> of Svalbard. It's, it's not that. I guess it's just, you know, um, Svalbard are three albums in and we sort of have, I guess, quite a sort of honed idea of our sound and, and what we want to do musically, whereas Nocturne is fresh and new. So it's kind of like you can just chuck anything at it. Yeah, yeah. More liberating, it's less restricted. But yeah, it was kind of, it was a result of both things because during lockdown one, I lost my job um, at the time, like my my shitty day job. Nice. <laughs> um, mm. I found, yeah, I found myself with so much more free time than I'd ever had. And that was the perfect time to kind of play loads of Skyrim and play loads of guitar. And then, you know, Wretched Abyss was born. <laughs> um, but yeah, the actual musical ideas, I think a lot of them have been around a lot longer, like, you know, from a couple of years ago. It's kind of difficult for me to put into words how much respect I've got for Justine and Sammy and anyone that's a part of Church Road. Um, not not just in the way they handled the Holy Raw situation, but how they've done going forward. You know, three of the last releases, Cruelty, Epiphanic Truth and Nocturne. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, they've they just got an unbelievable ear for talent. Um, when you came up for the idea for Nocturne, was it as simple as like calling Justine and saying, uh, "I've got an idea. I want to write a, a black metal album, a black metal album about Skyrim," and then she's well, like, "Yeah, cool, go do it." Because I'd imagine a label like, say, I don't know, Napalm Records, a few people would have to sign off on that idea before you could even start writing. Or with Church Road, was it like Justine? I want to do this. Yeah, cool, go do it. It'll be great. Well, it was actually, I wrote the album without even a label in mind. Um, I was must have been about five tracks in. Before oh. I even, and then I think I was chatting to Sammy and Justine just about Svalbard stuff. And then mentioned, you know, well, what have you been up to this weekend? Oh, I've been like recording this black metal stuff. And because I think one of the best things about Sammy and Justine, which is what makes Church Road Records so great, is their um, kind of, their enthusiasm and their passion to check out new things and new bands like they're always kind of looking for the next you know great death metal band the next great kind of hardcore stuff so yeah like um they were all in you know they straight away when they heard i was making this in my bedroom like you know because when i started making this i was just figuring out how to use logic, doing it all by myself. I wasn't sitting here going, I'm going to release this on vinyl with <laughs> a record label. That seems really like ambitious, but they were so keen to hear it. Um, and then I sent it to them and they were like, yeah, we love it. If you want to release it through Church Road, we'd be really happy to do that. And I was just, yeah, I was, I was really made up with that. Like I thought it was, absolutely fantastic and then a similar thing happened with um drew from translation loss who's putting it out in the states he releases the svalbard stuff over there and he heard i was doing some black metal asked to hear it and and now it's out in the states as well which just seems mad i, I mean i wrote it in my bedroom <laughs> like, so was, it, was the original plan with when you first started piecing it together were you just thinking i'll just have this as like 
a list of MP3s on my computer somewhere that I can just I can just release on SoundCloud or something one day. Was that literally what you were thinking at the time? Exactly. Yeah, that was exactly no it. I had no ambitions to to release it on a label, release it on vinyl. I basically just it was a bedroom project. And I thought, oh, yeah, maybe I'll put it on the internet and that was it. Or maybe I'll, you know, self-release it if it's if people like it kind of thing. And then it was only when I started playing it to a few people and people seemed like to have a really positive reaction. And, and Church Road obviously stepped in and, and offered to release it. And it was like, wow, I, that was so much more than I imagined, you know. <laughs> I think one of the, one of the things I really really love about everything that you've put your name to is like the lyrical concept right um with when i die will i get better um me and uh, my co-host sam like we're both english teachers um and a lot of the with the lyric sheet I, I got the orange and red splatter vinyl um for when i die will i get better and like the first time I, that when that came, I put it on my vinyl player and I just kind of sat in my room, just like reading the lyrics, like this, just like watching as it ran through. Like my mom came in and she was like, "You okay?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I'm fine." Um, my point is, me and Sam went through that, and I was like, "Dude, we could like teach this, you know? If we remove the swearing, we could teach this as like literature. So good." Um, and I know that you've said that the Svalbard stuff is really cathartic for you to write. But when you came to writing Nuptial, was it? Did you enjoy having your writing head in a more positive headspace around something that's fun? Because as much as Svalbard is cathartic for you, it is pretty heavy stuff. So was it? Did you did you enjoy the experience of writing about something that's fun for you instead of writing about things that are like the worst things of societal uh, issues as we speak? Absolutely, I think it was a very deliberate. Uh, approach for me to not take the lyrical approach that I take with Svalbard because with Svalbard I always kind of liken it to people basically have my diary when they have those Mm. Svalbard lyrics like it's so personal and it's so blunt and it's so easy you know you could read through Svalbard lyrics and know certain like really horrible things that I've been through in my Mm. life just from reading those lyrics which is like very extreme way of wearing your heart on your sleeve like um yeah to kind of just bear so many things that you've been through especially if it's like things that you've really struggled with but then at the same time like you say it's cathartic and for me it's kind of i guess a healing process of transforming something which was a bad experience for you into a creative thing and something that resonates with other people and hopefully makes them feel less alone with what they go through that's always my goal with the svalbard lyrics is to create that resonance with other people um, and then with Nocturne, it was the complete opposite. Like, um, I just wrote words about dungeons and Skyrim yeah. and dragons. And I like doing the vocals in Nocturne to, I mean, you must know, even despite having not played Skyrim, you must know, like, there's obviously the shouts in the game. Yeah, I'll get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I kind of always thought, oh, um, doing the vocals is like doing a shout in Skyrim. So mm. it becomes like physical force of power rather than a kind of wordy thing it's more of like a sort of display of like power and aggression yeah um so yeah it was it was really nice for me and another thing that's been really nice has been like 
doing the interviews for this Noctual album and getting to talk about things like gaming, RPGs, soundtracks, all these other things, because sometimes it can get to a point with Svalbard album uh, interviews once we've released an album. And, you know, I'm not saying it's obviously I've written about these things, so you can expect to have to answer questions on them. But if you're not in the right headspace, that can be quite a tricky thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I I, um, I was thinking this as I, as I was putting my interview like questions together. I thought, well, I'm going to try and avoid not talking. I have got a few questions about Svalbard lyrics uh, oh. later on. But I, I was thinking I'm going to try and avoid too much Svalbard stuff because you're probably glad, like I said, to be out of that, that headspace uh, of it for a while. Uh, you mentioned uh, the vocals of the Nocturnal album. Me and Sam, we've already recorded the episode where we reviewed Wretched Abyss and we both loved it. Uh, I think I, I put out a tweet a few days ago saying, like, Nocturnal are amazing and Serena, everything she touches is great. It's ridiculous. Um, I made my day. <laughs> did it? Yeah, no, seriously, yeah. I, I, within, I think I listened to it, like, twice in a row and I was like, this is ridiculous how in the past, like, what, 18 months, when I die, will I get better? And they're, like, this album about Skyrim's come out and I'd like I say I, I listened to that record with basically zero contextual knowledge really if you there's going to be loads of nuance you've added in the album that goes absolutely over my head <laughs> like and I just won't get it because I've never played Skyrim right even with that the album's great and the way you recorded the vocals for it is really really interesting because when me and Sam were doing the review I likened it to Dracula in the sense of like Dracula, the, most of the time he's in the background. He's not really there. It's just the idea that he's always around somewhere and your vocals are kind of like sat, I don't know, like in the middle of the mix. And I really love that. It's really, it's really cool. It's almost like I was listening to the record as an instrumental that had like these kind of echo vocals in Re- really I-, I, th- I was like really spellbinded by it. it was so cool how soon into the process did you make that decision of how you wanted the vocals to sound oh that's a really good question i'm actually really glad firstly that you picked up on that that the vocals are very deliberately like in the middle of the mix they're not you know right there at the front shouting at you they're more intended to be like an additional layer yeah um and yeah because um, I'm really inspired by soundtracks and instrumental music. I did want Noctual to have that kind of, it could almost be an instrumental album and the vocals don't overpower any of the melodies. Mm. Um, I, was, I think it was about, because I wrote three songs for this album before recording any vocals, because I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to go with vocally, yeah. like, you know, what did I want to go for the really high pitched black metal screams or the more lower stuff, which is my, with the, oh yeah, with the vocals, I'd written three songs before I even attempted the vocals. And yeah, and then I tried several different things. And every time I was trying the kind of more in your face, right at the front of the mix vocals, I found it was overpowering in to, to the music. So it was, yeah, it was about three songs in where I sort of tried, hang on, how about we bury them a bit more and see if that works. And yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with the results. So with this, with this question I'm going to ask here, uh, feel free to go in as much or as little detail uh, as you want here. And I wouldn't want to make you feel uncomfortable or perhaps like, you know, set you back and make you regress and make you feel bad about thoughts you've had previously. Um, but I mentioned I was going to talk to you about lyrics for Svalbard at some point. Um, 
I was talking, I mentioned to you about when I was reading through the lyric sheet and I was just like really stunned by how intelligent it all was and how me and Sam have said that we could we could teach this as like literature. Um, on Listen to Someone, the lyric, um, don't tell me it's okay to not be okay and then wink to everything I say. Obviously, you can only speak from personal experience here. Um, but do you feel like when talking to someone that we know is having a mental health issue or is particularly down, we're better off purely listening than assuming the person that we're talking to is expecting us to have all the answers. Like I said, um, go in as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable there. Um, but I, I was really fascinated by that lyric. That's a really good question. Like no one's ever asked a question like that. And I really appreciate the kind of, the, A, the compliment that you've given to my lyrics. Like that's really <laughs> nice. They could, you think they could be teacher worthy, but Definitely. like, um, also, yeah, to kind of pick up on on the nuances of a point like that and, and then for it to raise questions, that's kind of the goal of the lyrics is to get those cogs turning. Um, like, I think um, from personal experience, when, if you, if you open up to someone, if you're really suffering with depression or any kind of mental illness, um, and then people have this tendency to throw answers at you, uh, mm. this tendency to kind of, well, have you tried this? And I know it's coming from a good place of wanting to help, but sometimes that can be worse than just sort of quietly listening. Or I think sometimes the most powerful thing is just sort of repeating that something someone said and acknowledging it, because that acknowledgement is like healing in a way to hear your words back at you. Say, you say, oh, I feel like, this to say today and someone says back to you oh you, you feel like that today and it's like yeah it's been acknowledged and that's like it's almost wow, like a sigh okay. of relief because it's not just in your head anymore someone has heard it and you feel you feel way more listened to when uh someone's sort of interacting that way than say i mean there, there's that difference isn't there i've seen quite a few um, people talking about this on social media do you want, when you open up about your problems, do you want someone to try and solve them and fix them? Or do you want someone to just listen? And like, cause sometimes people just need to get it out. And there's a difference between just letting out whatever it is you're feeling verbally and then actually looking for solutions. If you feel that people are bombarding you with solutions when all you want to do is just kind of talk about it, it can get a bit like alienating and frustrating because you might not be in the right headspace to take on board those solutions you know sometimes it feels like there are no solutions mm. so if someone's kind of sat opposite you going oh well have you tried going for a walk and noticing the seasons changing a doctor actually yeah. said that to me <laughs> <laughs> then you uh, you you don't feel heard so yeah. yeah that's really clever you know i i've never really thought of it like that uh, i've i, I heard I listened to the downbeat uh, where Craig Reynolds spoke to Sam Carter and they were both talking about when they said to someone, oh, I'm feeling really, really bad today. And the person they've spoken to has said, don't say that. that they said, that's the worst thing because then you feel weird for thinking that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I, I felt really bad then because I, I was like, at some point I've probably said that to someone that some like someone's having like a, a troubling time and they've said god i just feel like doing this today and i've probably made them feel worse by saying don't do that but we you don't think about 
that like from my from where I was at that time it's difficult to put myself in the headspace of what's the right thing to say do you know what I mean exactly and I think you've just demonstrated a really important thing is that everyone is still learning and you know 10 years ago I wouldn't have felt like that I probably would have had someone say to me oh you know I'm, I'm feeling sort of a danger to myself and I would be like oh no don't say that you know yeah. you're and just bombard them with compliments and things like that because mental health is still a really sort of young discussion at the moment like it it hasn't been we don't it didn't explore it in the same ways 20 years ago that we do now it was kind of quite a closed topic so um yeah to kind of the fact that you've sort of reflected on that and gone oh i've probably said things like that and now i'm hearing these people say it on the podcast and people are talking about this on the podcast is really progressive in itself and then it means that everyone's going to keep getting better i think the worst thing you can do as well in terms of like the people who are listening to someone who is opening choosing to open up about their problems is kind of um place too much onus on the listener to get it right the first time do you know what i mean right. like yeah yeah no one's gonna, like the, the, sometimes we can be too quick to kind of go oh you know they did this thing wrong and now you can never talk to them and it's like no you, they, they can learn from that and we just need to keep giving each other feedback about like how it feels to talk about mental illness and how it feels to to listen to people you care about talk about it as well i find myself often torn between completely ignoring comment sections of popular publications and instead only interacting with nice people to kind of promote the inter promote nice interactions to forget about forget about negative interactions and then on the other side i want to call out every idiot that i see um it's especially especially for you what you've experienced previously where are you currently sat on this? Because I am consistently 50-50. I always... <laughs> I, I see, you know... Um, I see, for example, like, Laird Wyatt post about, you know, a general idea of, are we doing enough to combat this form of prejudice? And there's 300 comments, and I think, don't. Don't look at them. And then I look at them, and I'm like, oh, God. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have looked. And now I want to argue with everyone on there, because how could you possibly think this? Um What's your perspective on this as we speak? Are you avoiding comment sections? Are you calling people out that deserve to be called out? What's the best? What do you believe is the best form of play? It's a really, really good question. And I think I'm quite similar to you in that I sort of 50-50 go. Sometimes I can handle it. And sometimes I'm in that mood where I'm like ready to fight, you know? Yeah, and I'm ready yeah. to kind of... Um, call the call people out and then other times it's just so kind of um disheartening and upsetting mm. and deeply kind of you feel this like sense of hopelessness sometimes yeah. reading the comments because you go wow there's some people who will have these comments who just will not listen to mm. anything apart from their own opinion you can't reason with some people and it gets immensely frustrating when these people hold kind of prejudiced beliefs and won't yeah. consider anything outside of their own point of view um so it's a really interesting one i tend to try and avoid comments on my own stuff especially yeah. if they so say if metal hammer posts a uh click article where they've chopped up a quote of mine to make me sound like a dickhead oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> which they're prone to doing um 
Like literally on their last article, the quote was chopped in half. So the context was removed and it made me sound. I was commenting on representation of women in general and it, but they removed that bit of the quote. So it made it sound like really entitled. Oh, like, oh, I don't get enough attention. And I was, I was actually talking about women. Oh <laughs> but man, that's, that sucks. Um, I don't yeah, like that. It's really frustrating because, you know, ever since I was a, a young metalhead, stuff like being in Metal Hammer's the dream, right? You know, that's like the thing you want to be proud of. And then to have your representation of yourself be distorted into a kind of caricature that people are creating to create those comments. Like, do you know what I mean? I am not that controversial. I'm not that much of a dick, but they can make people look that way in the headline, because it's always just in the headline. You read the article and it'll be completely irrelevant to what the headline says, which was the case with this article. Um, but they will do that just to, yeah, generate a, a war in the comments section, like everything, because print media is dying, everything is designed on the internet to provoke. So you notice, I don't know who noticed, a completely different way that bands are being written about in the metal press now, compared to how they were written about, say maybe, 15 years ago like i don't think i've ever seen a headline in the last couple of years that just says hey this band have got a kill in your album out or like oh this band are in the studio it's never that's about interesting that's yeah, interesting it's, it's never about the music and it's you know they're, they're called the music press everything is about a gender war a this war you know snowflakes versus the this that and the other it's yeah it's very inflammatory and it's very detrimental to the metal scene as a whole, I think. But um, so I avoid comments on Svalbard stuff because I feel like I've had no control over that representation of myself. And all yeah. of the comments are based on this image of me that isn't me. And it's very upsetting, like people going, wow, what an entitled dick. Oh, she's such a bitch, oh, this kind of thing. And, and you kind of want to be like, I'm not like that. They've just made me look like that in the headline. Um, sorry, that was a bit of a, a... No, no, that was really interesting. That was really, really interesting. I, I again, this is this interview is not about me. I have only been into a, like alternative music properly for like six or seven years, so I don't actually know anything outside of the digital age in terms of how bands have been presented. Um, so that was really interesting for me. Well, what's really what is another interesting point then is that um, when I was younger, um, I remember buying Metal Hammer and stuff, and there was uh, an article with um, like Lacuna Coil in it, and she was sort of in her underwear, like really sexy photo shoot and everything, and it was all very like the whole interview was about being a sex symbol, and if you look through. Metal Hammers from 2005 2006, that's the only representation of women in there. Basically, they are there to be sex objects for the male gaze. And that has definitely changed now. Like it's nowhere near as bad anymore. You don't see, you know, um, women having to dress a certain way and kind of look like a bikini model to mm. front a band anymore, which is definitely a step in the right direction. So there are some good things happening, but now I would say it, to me, it seems like women are the fodder for generating the hate comments. So like a really good example of this to go back to Lacuna Coil would be there was an article on Lacuna Coil's new album a couple of years ago on Metal Hammer and Christina Scavier is famously not outspoken about being a woman in metal. She never addresses it. She never talks about it in interviews. She just sort of 
doesn't want to talk about that side of things, which is fine, you know. And um, the interviewer, it was a Q&A style interview, just will not let the question go. And in the end, I think she says like one sentence answer about, oh yeah, well, I think it's been different for me as a woman than it has been for the guys in my band. And that's all she said. That was the headline. Ah. And it was chopped up to make it sound like she was like, you know, it's starting a gender war and things like that. And then if you read the whole rest of the article, it's about their new album. And it's just, yeah, I feel that there's a very, there's a manipulation at play, which is a little bit off because it's all very well and good having more, it's amazing having more women in metal bands and more women in the metal press. But as long as they're being represented well, not being kind of used to generate comments, like used as a kind of, um, thing to stoke the flames in the comments. Yeah. But um, in general, I I think sometimes, objectively. So I don't read comments about my own stuff, but I do like reading comments on you know <laughs> any all the other stuff that comes up because I feel that you actually learn more from the comments than the pieces themselves. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. You know what I mean? Seeing the way people react to these things, seeing the beliefs that people hold, it's you know. It's very interesting to kind of get this insight into what beliefs lie within the metal community. I spoke to Annie Dorrit from Clitrip about this last year, about intersectional feminism. Um, and she said it's really tiring sometimes that because of her stance, she's often like bombarded by people asking her how she, how they should feel about a certain issue instead of doing the research themselves and finding out. Um, you're like a massive advocate for for equal rights, which obviously is massively commendable. But have you experienced the same thing where because you're so outspoken about it, people have now decided that instead of finding out for themselves, we'll ask Serena and see what Serena's opinion is. Has that happened? Do you know, it's interesting. I don't tend to get asked that as much. And I think it's, yeah, it's perhaps because I've been so direct in the Starboard lyrics and in kind of things like my personal Twitter, that people know where I stand and yeah. it's just a kind of leading by example thing. Like I don't, yeah, um, people sort of don't come to me and sort of say, oh, how should I write about, should I use the term female fronted to describe Starboard, that kind of thing. No, people don't tend to ask. And to be honest with you, probably the opposite to her, I'd kind of like it if they would. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know but then I think it's always going to be that way like you know I don't experience what she experiences so yeah. it's hard for me to imagine what that's like <laughs> yeah sorry I, I thought possibly because of how outspoken you are people might be like why would I do the research and find out for myself and Serena will now and <laughs> just like yeah. and I kind of put the question to you 24 7 it's like oh find out for yourself or you know think about it do you know what I mean one thing that's quite interesting is people assume a lot about me from like you know things that I've been outspoken about so I've had people who you know read articles or lyrics and stuff and then come up to meet me and been like oh I've been scared to meet you because you're this like crazy angry feminist woman and that could not be further from the truth yeah. at all but it's, it's interesting the way people build up this idea of a persona and another interesting one as well is um the rest of Svalbard are vegan, but I'm not. And people tend to assume because I write about 
you know, equal rights in a lot of other ways and stuff. And because I wrote a song about not breeding dogs with squashed faces, people also (laughs) assume that I'm vegan. And it's, yeah, it's interesting kind of, sometimes you feel this pressure of what people want you to be. Do you know what I mean? As kind of a left-wing ambassador, I guess. I guess this is a difficult question for you to answer, but in terms of representation going forward, how much of a percentage rests on the individual and how much of a percentage rests on the big bods that can make a difference? Um, Because, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a straight white guy, you know. I don't know what it's like to feel prejudice. I, I I don't understand what that feels like. So it's very, you know, it's very difficult for me to have an informed opinion for me, it's just like, um, don't be prejudiced and don't sexually assault anyone. I mean, that's really all that's being asked of us. Really, and that, when, when, you, when you dumb it down to the, the, the main point, don't sexually assault anyone, don't be nasty. That's all that's being asked. But in terms of representation improving going forward, obviously it's up to the individual, but hey, is there a split in terms of making a difference between the individual and between the big people at the top, like the big the the big festival bookers that can actually make a difference? I think it would be, It's there's a lot on the hands of the big people who are at the top, who are in charge. Or, you know, your Andy Coffings of Download Festival, your big, you know, um, PR agents, uh, live bookers, all of these people, like there is a responsibility on them to make sure that, um, that, their, rep, their lineups and stuff are diverse and because I think people forget, people who are, you know, a bit more thoughtful about how music works um, don't realise that so many people think that the lineup of download is meritocratic. Like so many people look at it and go, well, that band are on there because they're good. And if you're not on there, you're not good. And there tends to be this preconception that because there aren't many women bands on the main stage, that means women aren't good. That's where the dangerous thinking kind of comes in. And like, you know, I've had comments before, people saying, oh, worse, they've seen a photo of us and they've gone, well, I'm not gonna listen to them because it's some chick metal. So people literally won't even give you the chance to, to listen to your stuff they might even like because they've made this assumption. And I feel that the big people at the top, the festival bookers who don't have women on their main stages are responsible for generating these negative perceptions and if they were to change if you were to i mean i did that poster a couple of years ago yeah. where it was download line it with all women in and i just wanted to prove you know there are so many great massive amazing bands that could easily do this but they're not given the chance so the problem is with the people in charge not with the women like I yeah think. yeah so yeah, I would say it's very, very important that, that things start to change with the, the people, you know, the press, all this kind of stuff. Like they really need to start thinking a bit more deeply about the connotations of what they represent. I promised I wasn't going to keep you too long, and it's ten to ten. Um, you'll be. I've only got a couple more questions. Um, were you? The Reading and Leeds lineup, uh, where the six headliners were were all male. Um, was this something that particularly bothered you? I, I am a, a metalhead from Wolverhampton who talks about music because I really like metal. I haven't got any kind of real insider info, so when that lineup was released, my immediate thought was 
well, that's that sucks because there's now females on on the headline. You know, it's six headlines now females. But for all we know, Billy Eilish could have said no, mm-hmm. um, like because we don't know that information. And um, mm-hmm. I think his name's Melvin Scott. I think uh, the guy that books Red and Leeds. I guess he's never going to come out and say, "Well, we asked Billy, and she said no," because it's embarrassing for them. Um, you're obviously someone that's got much much deeper knowledge and intelligence of how the music industry works than me. When you saw that it was six six males headlining or six bands that were that were it had males in headlining Red and Leeds, do you did you see that as further of the problem, or is there something further behind the scenes that we need to understand to be able to comment? I think it's definitely one of those things. I would not put it past Reading and Leeds to have tried to get um, women on that bill as well because they have been slowly improving they have been listening to the feedback which sounds weird for me to say and then go and look at their their headliners i think yeah. it's a tricky situation of practicing what you preach but the reality is bookers are also confined by financial restraints who's available who yeah. can travel to the uk at that time there's actually a lot more to booking a band for a festival than just, you know, whether you can pay them enough money, things like exclusivity rights as well. Like, yeah, there's, um, there's a lot of other factors at play. So I wouldn't think it's as arbitrary as just going, they just didn't bother. They didn't bother to ask any women. You never know. They might have, but they might have struggled. I think where it gets bad is when bands like Idols say, well, we wanted women on our tour, but there aren't any. Now, yeah, that yeah. really damaging because you're using your platform as a big selling band to denounce the existence of women in music yeah. when there are loads, you know. Um, so what was interesting about that one was uh, obviously lots of fantastic female musicians spoke out when Idols had the all-male supports despite, you know, having their Guardian articles written about how, you know, oh, yeah, we need to see more women in music, you know, and then not taking any women on tour with them. And they listened and they changed and they've now got women on their lineup. And what was really interesting was people, because I'm from the same hometown as that, as that band, people who know them started, like, personally attacking me on Twitter, going, see, they did have women well. <laughs> Oh, I yeah. bet your face is red now. And I wanted to be like, well, no, why would I apologize for speaking out and then creating the change I wanted yeah. to see? Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, I will happily go, yeah, great, fantastic. They listened to the feedback and they made changes. And I think that's the best you can expect of anyone. But like, you know, I'm not going to turn around and go, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry for, for, for speaking out when there was a problem. Because speaking out about it was how the problem got resolved. <laughs> yeah, they did what you wanted to do. You're not going to apologise. <laughs> yeah, they did what you wanted. Um, just to just to close off, um, something that you you were actually kind of talking about this earlier. So I guess it would be a, a nice um, kind of 180. I remember Metal Hammer doing what I thought at the time was a tremendous piece looking at women in metal. But then I read an interview with you later on, and you brought up a really valid, interesting point that I'd never thought of, and that there's a line between celebrating and fetishing, right? And I was like, you know what? That's that's a really good point. I never thought of this at all. Um, do you feel that line is open to interpretation somewhat, or is there a definitive answer of 
here is the bar for fetishing and here is the bar for celebrating and this is how you stay in between i love this question no one's ever asked a question like that before and i love how yeah in depth and analytical <laughs> it's amazing like uh yeah um i think it's almost like a subjective thing isn't it because some other women I know who play in bands love it when they make a playlist that's, you know, the all-girl playlist, even yeah. if none of the bands sound like them. And it's a different level of perception to, to each person of, like, um, whether you would consider being sort of classified um, by your gender as kind of, like, representing and flying the flag and, you know a positive thing or whether you would see it as kind of well why does why does this matter i think my fear comes from that i know people who like women in music because they like to kind of pretend that they're their dream manic pixie girlfriend and they yeah. kind of like have crushes on all of them and it does become a bit like oh i like women in bands mm. sort of thing um i have actually seen that and like my concern would be lumping together bands who don't necessarily sound like each other just because they all have a common gender like that's when like today i saw that comment that um uh about ginger, copying I, ginger. Laugh. Yeah, I did laugh them. that was so funny yeah it's just you know it's it's getting a bit arbitrary but it's really interesting that you bring up that metal hammer piece i know the piece you're referring to and i feel like i never really got apart from in our song clickbait I never really got my chance to sort of go deeper with that and what my issue with the piece was. And my my issue with that piece was it was written by a guy, Stephen Hill, and it's all about the, the premise of the piece is women's voices in metal. So women's perspectives, the things that they can bring to lyrics that, that aren't there in a guy's perspective kind of thing. None of the women have a voice in that interview none of them uh, in that piece none of them have been interviewed none of them have been asked for a quote none of them have been asked how they feel about this or how they feel about being lumped together with someone like Merca. like why is Svalbard in the same article as Merca? we don't sound we don't share any of the same influences she's a black metal folk musician and we're a post-hardcore band like and you think about it like that and you go well you wouldn't see that on the other foot would you you wouldn't see kind of converge mixed with Winterfirth. So, yeah, no, that's a good um, point. Yeah. So that was like, you know, that was always my argument with this piece was the piece was kind of framed as women have the most interesting voices and perspectives, and yet they didn't even give any of the women a voice um, in the piece, which, you know, that's when I feel like, uh, you know, you're again, the women are the fodder in this. That piece was designed. To create i think it was 1400 and something hate comments that piece got it was designed to provoke it wasn't designed to be a positive platform for the women involved and that's where it gets a bit frustrating see and that's like i'll just be honest and be like i'm learning all the time right so i never that thought never once crossed my mind when i read that piece i was like it's awesome that metal hammer are giving like women bands this much press because these bands are all awesome and that didn't it never even crossed my mind that actually the the premise could be taken as actually like something that's damaging um and that's such a fascinating viewpoint that i didn't like, until i read that interview with you uh before when i was, I was a couple of weeks ago i never even thought of it 
it never even crossed my mind. It's really interesting because it is so subjective and what might be like awesome and positive and progressive to one person um, isn't to the next. Like a really good example of that is I don't know if you saw the power play thing that happened. I think it was at the end of last year, Power Play magazine did a list of, you know, ultimate bands. So if you could put together like an ultimate band and you'd have Kirk right. Hammett on guitar and, yeah. you know, Dave Lombardo on drums, that kind of thing. And they, they did all their normal groups and then they had a separate one for the ladies. And yeah. the lady was called Clitoris Also. Oh, yes, I saw this. Yeah, no, no, yeah. When, as soon as you said that, no, it snapped in my mind. I remember now. Yeah, yeah. But what was really interesting is I know Becky Baldwin, the bass player who was on that list, and her take on it was completely different from mine. Her take on it was the press don't really touch the two bands that I'm in. We don't get reviews. We don't get, you know, many features like they're they're not that proactive about featuring us. So I see this as a positive because it's a magazine who've actually paid attention to me as a bassist and, and put me in this. And obviously it's an unfortunate name. No one wants to be in the clitoris all sorts, do they? <laughs> but like she, her take from it was that it was positive representation. So it's really interesting how like it varies from like woman to woman as well. Like what one person might find, you know, a bit jarring is another person's like success story so that's why i'm kind of i don't want to sort of be like oh this is all wrong and stuff like that and, and things i just i just always think i think there's a lot of room for improvement <laughs> serena this has been an insane honor for me i've wanted to speak to you for such a long time and uh, i've kept you for an hour my god um i am now going to get through to our quick fire round and i'm going to let you go to bloody bed uh, I apologise for keeping you as long as I have. Um, so just just to re just to recap the premise here, uh, I've got twenty uh, multiple choice questions for you. First answer that comes to your head. We're going to see how uh, how quickly you can do this in. At the moment, uh, we have got the quickest at one minute and thirty seconds, and that was by Lucas Woodland, who is the Valkyrie for holding absence. So and that is an insanely impressive time as well. Uh, if anyone ever beats that, I'll be astonished. So uh, when you're ready, Serena, I'm going to get going. We'll see how quickly you can do this. Right. Okay. I'm ready. Let's go. Uh, Batman or Superman? Neither. Tea or coffee? <laughs> Neither. Battle Royale games, good or bad? Bad. Your favourite game that's not Skyrim? Oh, ah, fuck. Um, <laughs> that's why it's hard. <laughs> worms. That's <laughs> so what I wasn't expecting that. Uh, best time of the day? Best time of the day? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, 5.30. <laughs> uh, the hardest Svalbard song to write? Um, Revenge Queen. Your favourite Svalbard song? Um, Clickbait. Your favourite Nocturnal song? Oh, um, Labyrinthian. Marvel or DC? Neither. Metallica or Maiden? Maiden. Best gig you've ever been to? Um, Hammerfall at Wacken 2007. Best gig you've ever played? Oh God! Um, <laughs> Arc Tangent twenty eighteen. Awesome. Um, best roller coaster you've ever ridden? Um, Flüsch von Novgorod at Hansa Park in Germany. That sounds amazing. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Uh, Iron Man or Thor? Thor. Uh, best album you've heard in twenty twenty one? Ah, um, Impermanence by Stort Regan. 
Uh, your favourite album of all time? Uh, the Skyrim soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, favourite band of all time? Nightwish and Avantasia, their double favourite. <laughs> uh, favourite non-musical hobby? Um, roller coasters. Of course, and best piece of advice you'd ever give someone? Um... Oh. oh god this one gets everyone to be fair i shouldn't put it in i should stop putting it in <laughs> um don't if you want to learn an instrument don't feel that you have to treat it like a sport and get really fast and get really technical you can just play from the heart even if people say you're not very good for a while eventually you'll find your own kind of voice with that instrument and that will be worth more than any guitar scales can be <laughs> i love that so much usually we get like uh be yourself <laughs> when i ever asked that question that is that's the deepest answer to that question that we've ever had that was amazing <laughs> i love that um honestly this has been so so good i um the second it's a shame really when you when uh, when i die will i get better came out i'd kind of I'd taken up a new job and I kind of needed a break away from doing the podcast for a while because of time constraints and stuff. Um, so I didn't actually get a chance to put out the fears and try and interview you then. And I thought the next time Serena's got something that's coming out, I'm going to do everything I can to get an interview in uh, for this specific reason because I knew you'd just be a, such a great person to talk to. So thank you so much for your time, especially at this time of night on a Saturday. I really, really, really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you for having me. I've had so much fun talking with you and your questions were awesome. Like, I really appreciate the thought and the research that you put into those. And it was a real pleasure. I could have just carried on chatting for hours. With you, so. I take I take insane pride in that. So thank you so much. That's really cool of you to say. Uh, the next time you've got something new coming out, I'll be right back in your face again, like with a new with a new bunch of questions that can that can stun you. Um, thank you. This was awesome. Um, I I can't wait until I've actually got tickets for Svalbard, the Auto Asylum in Birmingham. Um, I can't wait for that. I'm going to be having the time of my life. So thank you again. This was awesome. Uh, and take care, man. This was great. Thank you. Good to seeing you in Birmingham. <laughs> Take care, Serena. Thank you. Bye. Bye.